0: I'm Kimmy Culp, and this is All The Wiser. Sometimes our guests leave me in complete awe, and today's guest, Marius Woodward, is no exception. If you listen to the podcast, you know that many stories we share are unthinkable. They can be heartbreaking, dramatic, and things you can't possibly imagine going through. Today's episode is all of those things. But the best part is it's just a piece of the story. There are also the most beautiful illustrations of courage, of kindness, gratitude, and fortitude. So I'll tell you a little bit about Marius, who is largely known by his headline. If you Googled him, you would quickly learn that he was burned over 75% of his body at the age of eight in a house fire that also took the life of his parents. And if you took the time to read a little further, you would also learn this. Two college girls traveling abroad in Romania met and fell in love with young Marius as he recovered in his hospital bed. Then they started a website to raise money for his care that went viral around the world and next, raised the money to bring him to America, where he would be introduced to Shriner's Children's Hospital. Over the next decade, they performed over 40 surgeries that ultimately transformed his body and his soul. I won't give too much away, but those are just a few of the incredible acts of kindness and humanity that will fill you with a hope and belief that people are innately good and kind. Today's episode benefits Shriners Hospitals for Children, which is so freaking cool that Marius could come full circle and give back to Shriners today through all the wiser. If you don't know about Shriners Hospital, you need to go on their website immediately. Not only do they have some of the top pediatric surgeons in the world, And of equal importance, they are known for creating a loving, supportive, optimistic environment for their littlest of patients to thrive. Marius said the Shriners felt like home and the staff there still feels like his family. You can find them online, read more inspirational stories, and make a donation of any size to help them provide surgeries free of charge to the children who need them most. If you are being inspired by the stories we share or simply learning something new about yourself or the world, I hope you will consider spreading the word and sharing all the wiser with others. By simply clicking the share button, you can give that same dose of inspiration to your friends and family. Here's today's interview with survivor and thriver, Marius Woodward. Marius, first of all, thank you for all the wiser. And I know you are a relentless, resilient person, and this is now a testament for how long it took us to solve our tech problems. So welcome and thank you. I'm already inspired. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> Thank you. By your perseverance. Well, Marius, I like to have our guests introduce themselves. How would you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: My name is Marius Woodward, and I'm originally from Romania. I was in a house fire when I was eight and a half years old, and both of my parents passed away. And then uh, I was able to meet two girls that were American, and they wanted to help me come to America. And um, after nine long months, they were able to bring me over so I get more medical treatments.
0: Tell me about your early childhood in Romania up till the first eight years of your life in Romania. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, the first eight years in Romania, it was just a lot of fun, I think. It was just, uh, you know, I I always had chores that I did around the house and, you know, feeding the chickens and the animals and, you know, doing some gardening and helping my parents with that and... I, I really loved that because it gave me a sense of an imagination that I could literally do anything and uh, that I wanted to or be anyone who I wanted to. And, um, you know, we didn't really have much. We didn't have wifi or, you know, running water. So everything we did, we, we, ha- we had to go get it like water and food and we had to grow it. And so it was just a really fun time to grow up and that you know, world of just freedom. You could do whatever you would like.
0: Yeah, when I talked to you on the phone, it sounded very kind of um, simple and and carefree in a sense.
1: Yeah, it it really was, honestly. It's just, it's really laid back and, you know, we had 18 acres of farm, so, you know, we didn't have much, but we had a lot to do and it kept us busy and it was just a really good time.
0: And what were some of the things you loved doing?
1: Well, some of the things that I remember, we we call them Tigani in Romania. Like, um, I don't know how to pronounce it here. But we would have people that would come by with horses and carriages. And sometimes my parents wouldn't be home. And they would basically pay people money to get metal. So I would try to find metal all around the house. And then I would sell it to them. And then I would get the money. And then I wouldn't tell anybody about it. So I could go to the store and buy little candies and stuff and like treat myself and kind of be cool when I went to school. But yeah, a lot of times in Armenia, it was just, you know, like things that we could really do ourselves and and try to uh, be better, you know. And we would make a trip to the city with our horse and our carriage and then we would sell it all. And then with that money would, you know, a lot of it would go back towards the house and everything that we needed. But then our parents would spare some money so we could go and uh, ride some rides and have uh, candies and sodas and stuff like that.
0: What year was this?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) You know, I couldn't tell you.
0: Well, no, like what decades? Like this is what set the stage?
1: Well, and around 2005 or so, I would say.
0: Yeah, because in this very Western fast world we live in, it's so foreign, right?
1: It, it is. It's crazy. Like here, it's like a new world, you know, and, and going back to Romania, it's a second world country. And just where I grew up is just, it's wild and crazy, but... Seeing the difference of, you know, the privileges that we have here and, you know, what we had there. Like we still had privileges, you know, but we just acted a little bit differently towards them because we were grateful for what we had.
0: So you have this idyllic setting, if you will, of the acres of land and and no technology and simplicity, but what was your family like early on? Who are you living with and how would you describe your parents and siblings? You have a brother and sister, right?
1: Right. The older person, older older sibling would take care of us when our parents would be working out on the farm. Um, and that's kind of how we started, right? We started by, I think my first four or five years, we were just working on the farm and then... My siblings got a little bit older and then my parents would go to Italy and work. And so um, basically I had my brother, he was like my dad. And then my sister was like my mom. Everybody was really close. And now we loved each other. Yes, they, you know, here in America, it's kind of crazy because, you know, and it's changing now. Times are changing in Romania. But back then, you know, you'd get whipped or you would get, you know, the ruler to the knuckles, right? And, um, you know they would do that when my parents weren't home and when my parents were home my dad would just completely take charge of that and um it was really hard to kind of grow up in that environment because i i remember you know at times my dad would try to teach me math or school and um we'd be up until the middle of the night you know and and he would be trying to teach me and every time i got an answer wrong he would hit me and he would be drinking you know he'd be drinking again all day And I, and I would cry and I, you know, and I would just, I didn't like him, but at the same time he was my dad and he taught me lots of things. He taught me, you know, how to take care of the farm and, and, you know, construction and um, welding. He was really good at those. He was really smart with all that. My mom, she would just be there, you know, she would try to take care of us the best way she knew how. And she wouldn't hit us, you know, she'd probably pull my ear once in a while, but that's when I deserved it. You know, I really needed my ear pulled and uh, so she, you know, she would do it and, and, but most of the times, you know, she just tried to make it work and um, that's how it is over there in Romania it's, uh, or where I, when I grew up, it's a um, wife gets married to a husband and um Because, you know, they can take care of them and and the family. And so my mom, she couldn't get a divorce and she couldn't, you know, because she had nowhere else to go. My mom was actually adopted. And so um, she didn't really have too much to go back to. Um, So she just dealt through this whole time. And I remember one time, you know, once I think I was like six or seven she told me, she's like, Marius, you know, when, when I get a little bit more money from working in Italy, I'm gonna, I'm, tr- I'm saving up so that way I can bring you it to Italy and we can just leave, you know, leave and not look back here.
0: Your life changed dramatically and tragically when you were eight years old the night of a fire. Can you share the circumstances of the fire and, you know, any memories you, you have about that night?
1: Yeah, so the night of the fire, I was eight and a half. It was, I think, 2009 or 2008. And um, I remember, you know, my dad, he would always be drinking from morning till night and every day, 24-7. That day, though, he was a little bit more upset and a little bit more angry. And I remember it was early, you know, earlier in the day. And he was just arguing with my mom and they were just kind of fighting. My sister wasn't home. She was with her boyfriend and my brother, he was um, 18 and he was in Italy working. So I didn't really, you know, I thought it would slowly get better, you know, because it usually did get better. Once he was angry and fighting, it would calm down a little bit. But as it got later on the night, he just kept drinking and got angrier and more upset. And, um, and I remember he got so angry arguing with my mom and that he decided to go outside. And um, he said he was going to get a gas can and and, um, come back inside and burn the house down. And I got really scared and um, he came back inside and he locked the doors behind him. He was standing right there by the stove. And uh, again, my mom was in one bed and I was in the other. And um, he started arguing so loud, and I, I became really scared because he had a gas in his hand. and And I remember I was trying to jump over to my mom to my mom's bed, and um, I don't know what happened, but I I know that in that instant he noticed that I I was trying to do something that he didn't want, or I I don't know exactly, but right when I tried to jump, he had the gas can in his hand, and the stove, the mud cell was still really hot warm there was coals underneath and the top was metal and was really hot so he kind of had the gas can in his hand it was a plastic gas can and um he shook it and threw the gas right in between the beds and um i remember everything literally started catching on fire the curtains on uh, by the window and uh, you know my dad i remember that and screaming and yelling and then i fell down and um I fell unconscious a few times. I think it was two or three times. The first time I fell unconscious, you know, I was like still trying to kind of wrap my head, like what do I need to do? What's happening? I fell unconscious again and then I woke up. Everything was still my dad, I remember he was screaming with his gas can. He couldn't get it off his hand and melted to his hand. My mom was, you know, crying and screaming and then I saw two windows and I was like I that's the way I can escape that I need to break those windows and get out and, and then broke two windows and I jumped out of the house. I started crawling and my neighbor came down on our property and uh, saw me crawling halfway through the gate, by the gate and picked me up, put me back inside of his house. I told him that my parents were still there. And everybody just, you know, my neighbors, everybody went back, rushed to the house to try to put the fire out. I was on that bed, you know, on on his little couch uh, that he put me in there. And, um, you know, I didn't feel, even when I was in the house, I didn't feel anything. There was no emotions. It felt like time kind of just stood still. Uh, Nothing was happening. No pain, no happiness, just knowing that I needed to escape. And I remember the phone started ringing. So I decided to get up and and slowly walk to the phone. And I remember I picked it up with two hands. I didn't even notice that my fingers were burned or anything. I couldn't grab it with one hand. So I picked it up with two hands and I put it to my ear. And um, it was crazy that it was the ambulance. The ambulance called... said, hey, we can't find address, where is it at, where do we need to go, and at that time I didn't necessarily know my address, but I remember I said it so clearly, and I remember the ambulance finally gets there, they put me on a stretcher, and then they give me a shot, and um, don't really remember much except being in the ambulance, and it was just a really bumpy, bumpy ambulance ride, and um, that was it for that night. That's all I remember. It was just yeah.
0: So after your last memory in the ambulance, what is the next thing you recall?
1: Yeah. So my after the ambulance, the the next thing I remember was waking up, and um, I woke up and I was in a in a. You know, I felt like I was in a spaceship. I felt like I was kidnapped. I had wires everywhere in my nose and my arms and my feet and, you know, water, things hanging down from above.
0: Did you remember what had happened?
1: You know, not that instant. I didn't. No, it was just my thing. My brain was just like rebooting and trying to like get sense like where I am now. And am I still alive? What's going on? It felt like it was a dream that whole time.
0: So you wake up in the hospital. What physically had happened to your body in the fire now that you know?
1: Right. So once I finally figured out after the fire and what has really happened, I don't know the time exactly. I think it would have been like a month to two months that I finally realized that I was burned. You know, I was burned over 75% of my body. I lost my fingers and my nose. Or it could have been longer, honestly. It could have been three months. <laughs> time it just it, it felt almost irrelevant at that time. It Nothing. It was just super slow. It was, you know, and all I could focus on, all I did focus on was just surviving.
0: You couldn't blink. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't blink. I couldn't, you know, and it's weird, you know, to, to actually go back there and, and think of those because... To me, I felt like everything was still normal. It was just that I was in a weird situation.
0: I don't know how clearly you remember it, but when I think of that severity of your burns, I mean, physically, what were you experiencing as just a little boy who is this burn victim?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't really feeling anything. There's, again, still no pain, still no emotions until I really woke up because my legs are burned over from the hip all the way down to the ankle. Like It's like almost I have tights on and so I didn't know the, how badly I was burned until I really woke up and the nurses started taking off the bandages when I was in the room, not in surgery anymore. That's when I started feeling the pain. Because I was burned so badly that they would take me in and try to skin graft my legs and skin graft my face and try to save my legs because they have amputated my fingers. But at the time, I still didn't know that I didn't have fingers or a nose. And um, so finally, though, probably three or four months, we've gone by and um, maybe less And, uh, you know, started peeling off the the bandages. And that's when I realized that I was burned really bad (laughs) and it hurt a lot (laughs) because the nurses would just take, you know, put my legs in hot water. They would get this big, you know, uh, like a tub and put me in it, then just let it soak there and then peel the bandages off. And that was just the most painful thing I've ever felt like I've had to deal with. And I remember you know, telling the nurses, like, you're not going to touch my legs anymore. Like, I'm going to peel them. I'm going to do it. And I don't care if it's going to take all day. I'm going to do it my way. And um, so, I, you know, I remember just barely pulling one bandage at a time, and it was just hurting. It felt like I was literally ripping off my skin, <laughs> like every bandage. And it just it hurt so, so much.
0: Do you remember the first time that you saw yourself and you saw the burns on your body and your face?
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a shocking moment because um, I had little goals during this time. My goal was I wanted to see my parents. I wanted to see my mom. You know, they told me that she was down the hall and then she got switched to another room. And then I was like, well, yeah, fine, if I, I can wait, you know, like I can wait. But can I see myself? Like I want to see what my face looks like. What does it look like? And, um, after a while they finally, the nurses finally brought me a mirror and, um, they held it for me because I, my hands were burned really badly. So they held it for me and, um, and I looked at myself and I was just, I was just kind of shocked. I'm like, that's what I look like now. Like, that's me. Like, are you sure? And I, and I just kept looking and looking and. And I saw that I my nose was missing, you know, half of my nose was missing. My eyelids were just burned really badly. My face was just, you know, red, scars healing. And, um, and I just, after that, I just kept asking them to see the mirror. Like, I want to give me a mirror. Give me a mirror, you know, like I want to see it. I want to look at myself. And I kept looking and, you know, days probably or weeks go by and I kept looking at myself. And, um, I don't know. I found myself very fascinating because I looked so different, but I knew that inside I was still, I was still me. Like, how can this person look different, you know? But I feel like I'm the same inside.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask: Do you see yourself? Like, are you looking for yourself, and do you find yourself in that physical reflection?
1: Yeah. I, I And I, I think that's what I really, I was doing, you know, at the time I think I was just kind of shocked and scared, but the more I talk, it, it's, that's what I was really doing is I was trying to be okay with, with who I am now. And yes, my body or my face does look different, but I'm still, it's still me inside. I was still that kid that wanted to to have fun and tease the animals and, you know, give them some food and then have them run after me, you know, and, and I was just really trying to find that. And I think every time I kept looking in the mirror, I just kind of reflected back towards that, that I was still me, my body, what happened to me. Yes, I look different, but that's not who I am. I am a fun and caring kid, you know, like I want to have fun and enjoy life
0: finding out the loss of your parents. And I think when I read about it, the way in which you found out and the day in which you found out shattered my heart for you. So you thought that your parents were down the hall, or at least that your mother was down the hall. So when was it when you realized that your parents had, in fact, died in the fire?
1: Yeah. So when I realized that my parents died in the house fire, I mean, during the whole time, the nurses would, everybody would lie about it. Nobody wanted to tell me that they were not there anymore. But my aunt had come down. She she got herself to America on a work visa and just ended up living here. But when she heard about everything that happened, she came down to Romania to help me and everything that's going on. Her name is Marcy. And um so she has known, she, she knew that both of my parents passed away and uh, she's like, why haven't you told Marius about it? Like, he needs to know. And the nurses were, everybody was like, well, he wasn't strong enough. I don't know if he could handle it. He's been burned over 75% of his body fighting for his life. I think if he knew about this, it would kill
0: him. So you've now seen and are beginning to accept what has happened to your body.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And you're obviously alone in the hospital. And there are two young college students, Jessica and Ashley, who are studying abroad and volunteering who come into your life. How do they come into your life and what do they mean to you at this moment in time?
1: Yeah. Um, so when I met Jessica and Ashley, I I didn't have visitors, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and we came from a village. And so people wouldn't come visit me. So I'd be there for, you know, days or weeks. Nobody would really come except for the nurses or doctors. And around my birthday, you know, the, the nurses knew it was my birthday. So they, they knew that there was this group of girls, you know, at the orphanage that were helping kids, you know, cheer them up. So. They went and told them about my story, what has happened, and to come tomorrow and uh, throw me a little party, bring some balloons and cheer me up a little bit, so that's what they did. know, uh, on my birthday, they, they came over and they brought candies, balloons, and stickers, and I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what was happening. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, wow. Because again, I was alone during this time, and that was the most exciting thing that has ever happened for me. you know, they had little speakers and music and so they came and and visited me and um, after that we instantly, I think we clicked and um, they liked me and I liked them and they would try to visit me more often, you know, every other day or every day and uh, they would spend hours hanging out with me and just kind of, you know, showing me Tom and Jerry. We couldn't understand each other so we would, Talk a lot with our hands and just kind of point at things at what we wanted, and um, we just became best friends. And then by then, my aunt, you know, from Romania, from America, has come down to kind of talk to them because she spoke English and to understand a little bit better. And during that time, though, it was a, almost a Mother's Day, and so I've been asking the Ashley and Jessica like. I need I want to see my mom. I want to you know give her a flower and for Mother's Day and um can you like wheel me down the hall? Can you get me a flower? And, and they said, "Yeah, like we can get you a flower." And um I remember my aunt, she told me she was like, "Marius, I don't know how to tell you this, but both of your parents are dead." And uh I didn't really know what to say. Like she was the only one there when she told me that and I was just devastated.
0: Which obviously is just crushing, especially because you thought they were in the hospital healing.
1: Yeah, I went into uh, depress. I was so depressed that I had a fort that kind of um, covered, I had blankets on it, but I could hide that underneath, like the blankets weren't touching me. And so, what I did, I, I hid in there for almost two weeks. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't drink. I was. I didn't want to do anything. You know, the nurses would still, you know, they would threaten me. They're like, Marius, if you're not going to eat or drink, we're going to have to put those tubes back in your nose, back in your arm, and making sure that you survive. And I didn't really care. I was like, do what you got to do. If you want to do that, do it. So then Jessica and Ashley, you know, they they came around and they're like, Marius, you know, they told me a little bit about America. So I kind of had an idea. And uh, before they talked to me, they talked to their families about, you know, helping me and bringing me over and getting surgeries. And so, but it wasn't really a plan. Nothing was, it was just in the air. And so they came and told me this. They're like, Mars, how would you like if you come to America and get surgeries up there? yes, I love that. And they're like, well, if you want to come to America, you're going to have to drink, you're going to have to eat, and you're going to have to start walking. You're going to have to do all these things. So you're strong enough to go on a plane and come to America. And after they told me that, I think I I instantly just uh, started kind of being okay again and having a new goal that, hey, if I drink and I eat and I start walking, then I can go be on a plane and Go to America and get surgeries,
0: and meanwhile, Ashley and Jessica are visiting you. I mean you've I know they're playing like Romanian hip hop, and you know you guys yeah. are trying to learn how to communicate and just I think, in this very, very dark existence, they just become this spark of of light of joy, of laughter from everything that I have heard you say about them and read about that time. And they're also Mm -hmm. at the same time on the internet, starting Team Marius and people all over the world are seeing your picture and hearing (laughs) that you're now an orphan who's been burned. You know, 75% of your body is an eight and a half year old boy and that you don't have the resources you need to heal physically or the family support to heal emotionally. And Team Marius begins. And they are also on the phone with their parents. So I read about Lynn and I just grabbed my heart. That's Ashley's mom. And she called and told the story. And what she said was she couldn't sleep at night anymore after she heard. And she said, all I knew was there was a boy who needed a mom and she had lost her son two years earlier. So Ashley had just lost her brother before going abroad. And she said, I knew there was a boy who needed a mom And I was a mom who needed a boy. And eventually, these two young girls spearhead, raised the money and convinced their parents to bring you to America. Right. What do you remember about going to America and what happens then? You leave this very small village in Romania and you touch down in America. What what happens next?
1: Well... So I was in the hospital in Romania for, for nine months before I got out. And so I finally I started healing and I started finally walking and learning how to walk again. And um, I went outside for the first time. I got dressed in the hospital in Romania to go get my passport. And it was the coolest thing because I've never ridden a car before. And I've ne- I haven't been out, you know, out of the hospital for months. And it was just so wild to see this, like I'm in a city, you know, and there's trees and there's birds and like, there's life out here. Like, how cool is this? It's so beautiful. And so I went and got my passport and, um, and then I, you know, almost time to, to get ready to come to America. And, um, my brother, he was my legal guardian, and so him and I both got on the plane and we had a translator. And so um, we finally, the plane, go, we get to America and um, I get at the airport and I just remember I was getting pushed down with a wheelchair by my brother and um, there's just a whole big crowd at the bottom of, you know, waiting. and and. Everybody had signs like Marius and everybody was like tearing and there was like, had stuff, animals, balloons. It was the coolest thing ever. I was like, wow, what is, who's that for? Is that for me? And I couldn't understand English. so I didn't, I wasn't sure. And it was the coolest experience ever. And, um, yeah, and then I, I lived here, um, and, and then I lived with Jessica's family, um, for the first year, once I was here in America, and uh, I learned English very quickly. They had a lot of younger children my age. And uh, so I picked up uh, English really within a year, within eight months, picked up English really quick.
0: So eventually you are adopted by Ashley's family.
1: Right. So I was adopted by Ashley's family. And um, my first year here in America was just living in Arizona and learning the culture. And uh, what happened was that You know, I called Jessica and Ashley my two American girlfriends because that's, they were my two American girlfriends. (laughs) But then everybody gets a huge surprise that my brother has fallen in love with Ashley and they were deciding to get married. And so they got married and uh, Ashley's parents said, how cool is that? I wonder if we could adopt Marius so he could be part of the family too. So they asked me, talked about it, and I said, yes, let's do it. And then I started basically kind of going into surgeries.
0: So your brother and you are now in the States and you've been adopted. And the process of a lot of surgeries begins. How many surgeries did you have at Shriners? And how many surgeries have you had total? Do you know? Oh, no. No way to count?
1: <laughs> no. I, I mean, I, here in America, I think I've had over 40 surgeries. The skin grafts and moving parts, you know, toes to hands, nose, construction, ribs to nose. And yeah. And then in Romania, I've only had a few. It's just the skin grafts.
0: And the, the transformation of Shriners, of the pictures that I've seen as I, you know, researched and prepared for this conversation, I mean... We all have unique bodies. Your body is a miracle. I mean, it is, as you said, I think your ribs or your nose, your toes or your fingers. I mean, what Shriners... And I know how important that hospital and those teams are to you. Mm -hmm. And I believe all that medical care was just given to you. Is that right? By the hospital or the families?
1: Yeah. So the deal was, before I came here they needed to find a hospital that could do my surgeries. And so they found Shriners Hospitals for Children in LA and they were a burn unit. And they told them my story and everything that has happened. And uh, they said, you know, if you bring this boy to America, we can give him all the surgeries at no cost. So you just need to get the transportation and we'll do all the surgeries. So that's what I really love about Shriners is that they help children that are younger than 18 and they do their surgeries at no cost. And I not only that but the experience inside of the hospital was just phenomenal. It was just they I felt like a family. I spent Christmas there. I spent like all the holidays I spent in the hospital and every holiday they always had a theme. You know, they always brought Santa Claus, they always brought Easter eggs and dogs and video games, movies. Like coming from where I came from to go to Shriners, it felt like I was in paradise. Like again, not just because they, you know, they do the surgeries at no cost, but the work they do is just, uh, you know, they with my toe to hand transplant, they're able to take six of my toes and put them on my hands. It was crazy because they gave me three options of mechanical hand, or hand transplant, or toe to hand transplant, and they gave me the pros and the cons of each surgery, and and then I finally was like, I want toe to hand transplant. The plan was to have five toes on the hands because there's nobody else really had had six toes transplanted on their hands. And so we were going through the surgeries, and I was like, you know what? Like, I actually want six toes on my hands. I want six. I don't, I want it to be even on each, on my hands and on my feet. I want to just have an even number. They're like, Marius, this has never been done before. Like, you might lose the toe. And I'm like, well, I've come this far, you know, what do I care? And the doctors are like, okay, we'll, we'll do it for you. If that's what you want, we'll try to make it happen. And so and now I got I got six toes on my hands, you know, and they built an incredible nose, you know, and it's just it, Like their medical staff and the people there are just super caring, loving, always want the best for the person that they're with. And again, I've never been to another hospital or any other place that are like that.
0: So forty surgeries is a lot of surgeries and you have (laughs) a phenomenal hospital and team and it sounds like just world-class medical care. Your family, who are the people when you come home from these surgeries? Who's supporting you through all these appointments and the back and forth? What is your family during this time?
1: Man, I've had so many people help me. I've had so many people being there by my side and helping me every step of the way that I, I would say Lynn, Kristen, you know, my brother, Yanutz.
0: And Lynn and Kristen are Ashley and Jessica's mothers, and you Mm -hmm. refer to both of them as mom, correct?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say those three—they've been there by my side all the way through, and um, anytime I needed something or help, and uh, they're always willing to help. And um, again, I've had so many people—you know, thousands of people—when they created Team Marius, there were just numerous of people all around the world that were donating money and helping me to get the treatments I needed and volunteering to come and visit me at the hospitals and, you know, coming visiting me at home when I was, you know, healing from surgeries. And uh, my brother mainly, though, <laughs> he's, he gets credit. He was, yeah, he, he did a lot more than, you know, at 18 years old. Before, you know, he had to get the funeral ready and bury my parents, and then he had to fix up the house so i could go back there that was the plan in the beginning the plan was for me to go back home so he fixed up the house he buried my parents we have traditions he spent a lot of money and even then he would still try to visit me you know when he could i just can't believe like the amount of work my brother did and the amount of time he spent trying to help help his brother you know help the family
0: he sounds like a really good man And I'm so glad that he is your brother.
1: Me too. He's an amazing man. You know, he's got kids now. He's an amazing dad. He's really turned, you know, our our family around from our dad to him being a dad now. And it's just, yeah, he's a great man.
0: I know you were the subject of a documentary, award-winning documentary called I Am Not My Body. I love the title. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a great title. And so we've talked about your physical body, obviously, a lot. So, first, I want to start with early as you're getting the surgeries and you're in a new country, learning a new language, going through everything you're going through. But there's still like kids are kids, right? And you said some people would, you know, say shitty things and stare and all those things that. Mm-hmm sadly, are truths and I think most people wouldn't be surprised by on this schoolyard. But you learned very quickly that humor had a place in those moments. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so there's a time that I think that, I, you know, my humor really started. I remember, you know, like, I didn't really know what to do, but I remember this kid was staring at me and nobody else was really around to kind of see that And so I looked back at him, and I didn't have a nose, I didn't have fingers, I just made a scariest face (laughs) that I could, and I scared him, and he ran, and I remember him running and crying. I'm like, yeah, that's what you get for, you know, looking at me like that, like, and then afterwards, you know, I kind of felt bad a little bit, but maybe next time, you know, you could go up to them and, and tell them, hi, my name is Marius, and I was burned, you know, in a house fire and kind of just tell them so you know, I, I kind of realized that I could still do both, you know, I could still kind of make that, you know, scary face, but have a, a good attitude towards and sharing, you know, how I would do it. So, you know, over time I've kind of learned that, you know, if I see someone staring, um, I would walk up to them and say, Hey, how's it going? You know, my name is Marius and then, you know, now I would say, Do you wanna know something crazy? Like I've got toes on my hands. These on my hands are my toes. Isn't that crazy? And they're like, whoa, whoa, yeah, that is crazy. Can I see your foot? And I'm like, you want to see my foot? Like I just showed you my hand. <laughs> yeah, I can show you my foot. So I show them my foot, and then the you know the questions start coming in, and it's just a whole like excitement, fun thing, and. Uh, I think that's where I really kind of started that, uh, you know, understanding that people look at you because they just want to know more about you. They haven't seen anyone uh, like that before. Uh, Not just because they're being mean, you know, it's because they're curious. And, you know, I've caught myself a few times that I've looked at someone and and then later on I'm like, you know, I should just go up and talk to them and ask how their day's going, you know, and see, see what happens.
0: I've read several descriptions of you, all which are incredible traits. I mean, some one I'll, I'll share with you, I think, is maybe the best descriptive of any human beings, but that you're an optimistic person, that you're somebody who's very grateful in life, that you are kind of constantly expressing gratitude around things. And I also heard somebody say, and I don't know if it was in the documentary, that Marius is the type of person who, when he's talking to you, you feel like you're the only person in the room. And that would be the trait, I would say, is is the magic of life, if you have that, and it sounds like you do. Thanks. But what you've been through, my guess is most people, just the weight of it, they can't even get through the weight of the story, had not living one second of it. But where does all of that come from? I mean, do you think it's... God, the universe, I mean, where is that all born within? And I imagine, obviously, you have, like every human being, very, very difficult days. Oh, yeah. And as you shared, you know, under the blanket, not eating for two weeks, and I'm sure there has been many, many chapters of darkness. But when you do get back to being the person who finds lightness and gratitude and being so present with the world, what do you attribute that to?
1: You know, there's so many things you know, the people that have helped me, you know, people ask, who was there by the biggest person that helped you? And my brother. And then I can think of, well, then there was this other person. Well, there was this other hundred people out there and there's the Shriners and the Romanian doctors. And, and I always remember my mom too, that she was always, you know, trying to be kind and doing the best she could and handling the situation that she was put in. And, um, you know, I was I was Christian in Romania, and then I was in America, and I was baptized uh, an LDS Mormon. And then I stopped going to church, and, um, you know, and, and I just realized that everybody is good. Everybody is trying to be good. And you can only get better. The more you try, and the harder you try, the better you can get at it. But... You know, me realizing that as still inside, I'm still a good guy inside and I'm still trying. You know, this wasn't because of me. The fire wasn't because of me. And and it was there's just so many re, you know, things that can go on top of that. But you know, that's the first time that I, I realized the fire wasn't because of me. And I and I moved on, I realized that there's a lot of great people out there that are willing to help someone they don't even know, and they're always trying to help me the best way they could. And so I was always trying to do the best I could to overcome the surgeries or people looking or me trying to eat or button buttons. And, uh, and I just kept, you know, going. And, um, you know, when I overcome these dark times, again, I, I think of of where I was and, you know, that I could have been dead, you know, and, and I am I'm, should be glad to be alive and I should treat everybody that they are someone, that they do matter, and they have a purpose here. And um, so I've been trying to, you know, to, to be as nice as I can and, and understanding that, yes, I have a story, but everybody's got a story, and everybody's trying. A lot of people are not listening to their stories because it's not on the outside of their body. A lot of it is inside, and they still have a story, you know, and they're still human, so... And I've learned all public speaking and, and being on, you know, answering questions that I, I even, even in group homes that, you know, that people ask questions that they can benefit from. Like, why do you think your dad set the house on fire? You know, and then I would think, well, why would they ask that question? Well, I can't tell by, by their body, but by the question they asked, I can tell that they have trouble with their parents or with their dad and they're abusive or not abusive. And, and so it really not judging anybody, you know, that's my biggest goal is to never judge anybody. Just get to know the person that is that, you know, just the person that it is inside. You know, again, in the beginning that might be rough, they might be, you know, not there, but the more you talk to them, the more you realize that, wow, that is a unique story. And, I'm really happy that you're here and you know, especially talking to me, like you're amazing. So yeah, my gratitude, yeah, comes from hitting rock bottom and realizing there's a lot more people out there that are helping, that are good.
0: Have you forgiven your father?
1: <laughs> That's a tricky question because um there are days that I blame him for what he did, but most of the time I try to just be That it happened and I can either sit there and, you know, cry about that my dad did this and he's not even here or I can keep on going and and never give up and and keep fighting and realize that, you know, he was a good dad. Like he did the best he could, but the way he was raised up. Might have not been the best way. And um, so I kind of came to a conclusion like, I don't think I would forgive him, but I'm okay with what happened because um, maybe one day, you know, I'll have the chance of talking to him again and understanding why. But if not, you know, it's okay because I'm still alive.
0: How does your mom, your birth mother, does she show up in the world for you at all?
1: I don't know. She's she's just the other good side of things, you know, like always treating. I never want to be my dad. So, you know, never hit a woman, never or any anything like that. Treat them with respect, even if not like with more respect than you have. Because that's something that I realized, like my mom needed a lot more respect and uh, a lot more care and love.
0: So the way that you love and respect women is because of your mother.
1: I would say so. I mean, she was a tough woman. Like she was the strongest person out there. Like, I don't know. She was the coolest. (laughs) And there's something that I do miss. I'm like, man, I wish, I wish I had, you know, my mom here to kind of guide me through all these adulting things. But, you know, I, I just kind of keep her close to me and knowing that there's still other moms out here that love and care for me and are willing to help me the best way they can. and
0: what is your relationship with Ashley and Jessica today?
1: Yeah, I I would consider, you know, that they're family and, you know, really good friends. And I can call them if I ever need anything. And I would say the same thing for everybody, I would say.
0: You're doing the interview from whose house?
1: Kristen's house, uh, Jessica's house.
0: Yeah, so you're doing the interview today from Jessica's parents' house.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in Utah and I wasn't feeling very happy so one of the frees, Nate, he bought a ticket for me to come out here to Arizona and just get away and get out of that mindset, negative mindset. So it's been good the last two, three days to kind of see people around, you know, and talk to people again. So it's been quite nice. Yeah. Love the house here.
0: <laughs> and the people. Of
1: course. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that's in the house. Yes.
0: All right. Well, you know, it was interesting because yesterday I was listening to a different podcast and I heard the host talk about wounds versus scars. And the idea is that the scars are the the lesson on the other end, right? The wisdom we've gained and often the launching point, as you said, the curiosity that, that begins the question, right? And you have said that your scars, you view them as art. What is the message of your scars? The message when you go and you speak in group homes, when you speak to other kids in hospitals, what do you want them to learn from your story, Marius?
1: Um, to never give up. If I would have given up in the hospital before meeting you know, Jessica and Ashley, I would have never met them, but I kept on going. And just because I kept going and I tried to be happy about the situation I was in, They liked me and they loved my positivity, you know, and and that's how I was able to get to America. And my whole thing is to never give up. I got that tatted on me. Whatever you might be doing, you know, I struggle a lot of things with my hands. Well, I can do them pretty well, but there's still things that are not as easy. And so I have to try it over and over and over again until I'm a little bit better than I was before.
0: And the never give up is right on your forearm, right? So when you're working with your hands, you see it.
1: Yes, I wake up in the morning and I, and I look at it. I'm I, you know I put my arm underneath my head and I look it up. And I'm like, all right, never give up. Gotta gotta get out of bed. Gotta gotta do this. Gotta do that. And you know some days are better than others, but yeah, you know I think that's the biggest thing I've learned through life, through surgeries, through the pain I've gone and is to never give up. There's something better at the other end. You just got to keep going, fight through the bad, and that will be good.
0: And I think your story, you know, the message, obviously the perseverance, but the fact of how we can impact other people's lives and the fact that it was just love and kindness that saved you on every level from your brother to Jessica and Ashley, to their families, to everybody who donated money to get you here. It's just really a testament of, you know, the power of humanity.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It's it's just amazing, you know, like two random American girls never met before. And then we clicked and we kept going and more little things started, you know, more people started, you know, helping and reaching in. And it's just like that whole butterfly effect.
0: Well, Team Marius started with Jessica and Ashley. You have relaunched it and you have really hipster merch, which I'm going to link to. I think it's really cool. So now people can support that and that that money's going back to Shriners, right? I believe for some of it.
1: Yeah. So I've started it when COVID started. You know, I I quit my job, I was in sales. And so I started. I did TikTok and then I just been going viral on TikTok. I have now I have 1.2 million followers on there. And uh, during this whole time, I've, um, you know, I've always wanted the idea of helping people and and starting my own nonprofit organization. So um, I decided to retake teammarius.org and uh, make it into a clothing uh, shop or, you know, so it's a LLC business. So I've learned a little bit about the business side of things on that end. So yes, but a percentage of it is going to go to Shriners and um, hopefully other ones too, other charities.
0: Okay, cool. Well, first of all, thank you, Marius, for your time today and for sharing your story and the story of everyone you have met and loved along the way. I think it goes without saying that it's inspiring in lots of different ways. And I just appreciate you making the time to have this conversation. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Kimmy.
0: So we're going to end with a little something I'm going to call lightning round. Okay. So I am just going to, on the fly, throw out some questions and see what comes up.
1: Oh, All right. You ready? Yes.
0: (laughs) Favorite superhero and why?
1: My favorite superhero would be, what's the guy from X-Men? The guy with the, he's like blue or red and he's got a tail and he teleports. Uh-huh. Um, terrible as names, but he's my favorite. I mean, I love the, the ability to teleport. You know, I think if you could just go anywhere in the world, it'd be amazing. You could reach people at an instant, you know, just be there at a blink of an eye.
0: I know you'll have an answer to this one, so I'm going to switch it. Favorite cartoon?
1: Favorite cartoon, Tom and Jerry. Or Legend of Korra, the avatar.
0: First thing you do when you get up in the morning?
1: Check my phone.
0: Favorite binge-worthy show?
1: The Office. So good.
0: The thing you have done that you are most proud of?
1: Just talking to people and trying to listen.
0: In 10 years, I hope to be.
1: In 10 years, I hope to... <laughs> man. I mean, in 10 years, I hope to have my own businesses, my own nonprofit, and helping people all around the world or children all around the world the, the way I've been helped.
0: Awesome, Marius. And where can our listeners find you on social, anywhere in the world to see what you're up to?
1: Yeah, you could uh, check um, my Instagram or TikTok. My TikTok is one short story and my Instagram is Marius one now there's two Team Mariuses on Instagram, but I got hacked and they stole my verified account. So I started another one, but it's Team Marius one.
0: We do not like the hackers who stole it.
1: Oh my gosh. I and <laughs> and he's trying to give a back too. I'm like, I don't want a back
0: now. <laughs> All right, Marius. Well, um enjoy the day in Arizona and we will be in touch as this gets closer to airing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Marius. Take care. Me
1: too. Bye.
0: If you have made it this far, you are clearly a loyal, all the wiser listener. And or you are a friend of Marius. So for those of you who are listening and loyal, we would love to hear from you. We would love to get your feedback on anything and everything about the show. Are there topics you want to hear more about? What do you think of our length? Do you have a new idea for our mini episodes? You guys show up for us time and time again, and we want to show up in the way that is of the highest service for you to bring you the things you want to hear about in a way that works with your life. You can do this by DMing us on Instagram. We're at All the Wiser Podcast or you can send us an email at hello at all the wiser podcast.com. We will be reading every single word and hope to bring your ideas, inspiration and thoughts into our upcoming work in 2021. I hope you have a wonderful day. And if you were inspired by all of the acts of kindness that were shared in this episode, I am going to challenge you to today commit, wherever you are in the world, to practice your own act of kindness, however small or large it may be. All the Wiser is produced by Erica Girard at Podkit Productions. Our sound engineer is Kelly Kramerick and our associate producer is Kessie Hollister. Thanks for being a part of the All the Wiser podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast, read our show notes, or get in touch with us at allthewiserpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at allthewiserpodcast. Send us a note. We would love to hear from you. And as always, thanks for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.